0: Life, the storms that we have are because of us. They're simply because of us. We're suffering from financial consequences because we were foolish. We're suffering from relational consequences because we were foolish. Sometimes the storms that God keeps in our lives are because of us, and we cannot blame those on anyone else. Why does He give them to us? Because we messed up and He's calling us back. Everybody, open up their Bibles. To the Book of Jonah, Jonah, chapter one. Jonah, chapter one. We're going to do verses four to six today. Verses four to six. Again, we've been making kind of slow progress through the Book of Jonah, and that's intentional. Today's sermon is called "The Storm." The storm. Uh, Whenever I put these little videos up in the beginning, they always have a couple questions. Those are meant to be kind of hook questions to get everyone thinking about where we're heading in the sermon today to kind of give us some rungs on the ladder to hang on to as we're hopping into God's Word. So before we start reading, let's just bow our heads one more time and just pray and ask God to help us. God, we need You. We need You this hour we declare our need of You To reveal your truth to us. To take this word and to apply it to our hearts. That you might change us into the people you've called us to be. That you might form us into the image of your dear son, Jesus. We ask you would do this. That you would remove any hindrances that we've placed in the way. And that, Father, you would soften our hearts. That they may be as wax in your hands. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Remember, I had a challenge that I set before everyone. Remember, three weeks ago now, every single day for 12 weeks, everyone is going to read through the book of Jonah every single day. That's my challenge. And I told everyone that it was going to change your lives. And to change our lives, the first place God has to start is our minds. That's the path to our heart. So uh, I pray that everyone's having their minds changed about things. I know from some people that I've had conversations with, some things are sticking out to them from this book that they did not see before. Because we're continually reading and we're trusting that God is going to open our eyes to these things. The other thing that I place before everyone is another challenge that we were going to memorize this verse together, this half of the verse, before we're done with this 12-week series. So the way we've been doing it, and we'll continue to do it, is I'm going to read what's in the black, and then all together we're going to read what's in the red. Everyone got me? Jonah 4, 2b, For I knew that you were a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. There's a sermon in those words. Where do we get There's a big sermon just in those words alone. It tells us so, so much about God. I want everyone to have this framework in their heads going into any sermon we have on Jonah. This is who Jonah knows God to be. He knows this is who God is. I want to just pick through really quickly just the verses. We're going to go through this. What do you mean, you sleeper? said to him, excuse me. Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It was a young boy that was waiting after church for his family. So the pastor saw him standing around and struck up a conversation with him. Since the boy had just come from Sunday school, the pastor decided to ask him some questions to determine just how much the children were learning there. He said... Young man, if you can tell me something that God can do, I'll give you a big, shiny apple. Thoughtfully, the boy replied, Sir, if you can tell me something God can't do you 2 I'll give you an entire box of apples. I just issued the same challenge to these kids in the back there. I said, if you all listen and you pay attention and you can answer me a question to show show me that you paid attention, I have a prize for you. So now they all have their listening ears on and they are ready to roll. Is God truly powerful? God is truly powerful. H.G. Wells once said, If I thought there was an omnipotent God who looked down on the battles and deaths, And all the waste and horror of this war, able to prevent these things, doing them to amuse himself, I would spit in his empty face. Many people struggle with the idea of God's omnipotence. Many people do. Many outside the church struggle with this every single day. We question ourselves sometimes. Why, if God is all-powerful, would he allow this? He responds immediately, and sometimes it seems as though our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You ever get that? Sometimes you pray, and it's like, immediate answer, wow, there it is. And sometimes you pray, and it's like, are you even hearing me? How do we answer a world that is continually questioning our faith on the basis of God's omnipotence? So they're continually saying, how can you believe this if God allows this? We hear things like, well, if God was really all-powerful, why did he do nothing to stop the slaughter of millions of Jews? Everyone in here has heard that argument in some form. Often, we struggle to answer. If we are honest, sometimes we struggle with the same questions ourselves. Why did he choose to take my family member when he could have left them? Why am I facing cancer now? Why am I sick in this way? Why am I broke in this way? Why did I lose my job These are honest struggles. And you and I need more than anything the truth in times like that. We need to have the truth set right before us, something that we can focus on, something that we can digest and have run through our hearts. And what I don't mean is the little cards that say, remember, God loves you. As nice as these are, they tell you really... Nothing substantial when you are in a time of need, and I also don't mean the little bracelets that say, "What would Jesus do? Don't worry, I've made my week of loss because of my bracelet. All God's people knows uh, that we all know that that does not work, not in our struggles. We need truth that we can stand on, a truth that goes way beyond our what would Jesus do?" bracelets, a truth that goes beyond the little card that says, "Jesus loves you. We need a truth that we can stand on. Why? Because what we know as truth shapes our worldview and determines how we will respond to suffering. Because every single one of us, every single day, responds to suffering. Three truths in God's word this morning that we're going to look at. Three truths. First one is God is all powerful. Amen? God is all powerful. I'm going to show you why why the text says that where the text says that not why (laughs) two God cares deeply for the lost is that how God feels for the lost amen God cares deeply for the lost and lastly God takes sin seriously I should have put very seriously because the severity of sin how seriously God takes sin is much more than we do so let's look at these thoughts there are three thoughts here God is all powerful God cares deeply for the lost and God takes sin seriously first one God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. This truth is challenged by our opponents all the time. All the time. If God was so strong then, and uh, the honest truth is, I just want to say by way of reminder, we struggle with this truth as well. This truth is challenged, I would even go so far as to say, more within our own hearts than by opponents to us. We struggle sometimes more with the fact, God, if you are, then why? Then we have to answer that to our opponents. You and I question God's omnipotence way more than we want to admit. When we desire to sin, when that desire is before us to do something that we know God would not have us do when that is the desire of our hearts, we think some way and somehow we can slip one by. We think somehow, surely God won't see this one. Or because of the thing that I did yesterday, God will just cancel this thing out. How often... Do you believe that you can reject doing what God has clearly called you to do and then somehow go off into hiding where God will not find you? The truth is, I'll answer for everybody, we're all in the same boat. Scripture says that our hearts are the same and they lie to us all the time. They are corrupt through and through. Every single time we sin and we want to sin and we do this thing, we go off in hiding because the last person we want to face is God Almighty. It's the truth. We know it to be true. Jonah wanted to flee from God's presence. So he hops aboard a ship going in the opposite direction, not only the opposite direction, to the other end of the known world of the time. He pays a very expensive fare, at least we can imagine by how far the ship was going, to get away from God's presence. Understand that Jonah's mission that he had set out to go on was to get away from God, not only rejecting God's word. Only rejecting God's will, but rejecting God Himself. He thought some way, somehow, that he could escape from God's grip. Isn't that amazing? We all say, Yeah, that's amazing. How terrible. And then we all follow in Jonah's footsteps. But as soon as the boat is off the sea, a distance just so far that there is no hope of ever swimming back against waves or a torrent, The dark clouds come sweeping in, in a moment, without a notice. So picture for just a second, because I love visual imagery, just use your sanctified minds with me for a second. You are on this ship, and the calm clap of the waves against the bottom is all that you hear, the gentle rocking back and forth of the boat as it makes its way through these beautiful and crisp waves. And all of the sudden... It changes into a tumultuous thundering. So this gentle is now trying to rip apart the sides of the boat. At that moment, God opens up the floodgates and he hurls the wind at the ship. This is brought by a treacherous wind that could not be mistaken for an ordinary storm. Why do I say that? Because all of us have been around long enough to know that when there's a storm, you see signs. You're outside mowing your lawn, and all of a sudden the wind starts to pick up a little bit, and the sky starts to get a little darker. You know it's time to put it away and go inside. You know it's time to get away from the weather that it's on its way. It's the same thing for sailors. They know the signs to look for. They know when they are safe, and they know when to button down the hatch, because they are not. We know because the clouds steadily change, and this is what these men would have expected. Clouds suddenly change, the perfect sky into darkness, slowly gusts of wind will begin to increase in strength, and the rain will usually pick up gradually, not in this storm. I have this storm in front of you, that's not what we see here. If God wanted us to believe anything different than what we put here, he would have put it here, but he didn't. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. This is no moment's notice. This is they are going along on their merry way and all of the sudden does not say at all. They are confronted by this storm. And to the sailors, it is as if this storm was hurled upon them. It's in an instant. Scripture tells us plainly and clearly That this storm was hurled by God. I love that word, hurled. I want everyone to notice a very extremely important point here. For those that have been reading through the book of Jonah every single day, I'm going to point out something that you may not have underlined, and if you hadn't, then you definitely ought to. One word in this statement that changes everything, it's a pivotal word, it's an important word, And it's the one that all of us tend to overlook. It's the word but. It's the word but. Because it is the connective, the connecting conjunctive, between the last statement and this statement. So this is important because what was Jonah doing? Jonah was running. Jonah was settled. Jonah was on his way. He was going away from the presence of the Lord. But... Probably one of the most pivotal words in the entire statement, in the entire scripture here. But Jonah was fleeing from God's presence. That was his plan. He did all he deemed necessary. He went to the dock, located the ship that was going in the opposite direction to the end of the known, the known world at the time. We don't even know where it was today. We look on the map and we have guesses but the map covered uh, approximately 2,500 to 3,000 miles in every direction, and it wasn't on the map. So it was a good, long ways away. He pays the fare, hops on, he's on his way, and then, but, but, God does something. I want for all of us who are rebels, if you identify yourself as a rebel against God most days, then you're with me. You're in good company. All right, you belong here this morning. This is where we got to be. We are together united as one. All my rebels, give me an amen. 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 All right, good. I'm in good company. So this is for your heart and for my heart. Are you ready? We cannot escape God's presence. And when we try to, There is always a but, every time, but the Lord. Every time you and I in our rebellion decide we are going to skip out on what God wants us to do, you know it. I know it. Here it comes. Because we cannot escape the presence of God. You may have the perfect escape route planned out. You may have messed up, and you transgress, and now I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read God's word. I'm not going to be God's people. As a matter of fact, this weekend I'm going to go away to the city. I'm going to go up into a hotel room. I'm going to sit and watch TV. But God does something to stop that from happening because He loves you too much to leave you where you are. You can't escape Him. Why? Because He's all powerful, and He can stop you dead in your tracks. He can stop you dead in your tracks. You don't believe me. Look at Jonah. Jonah thought he could, and we find out very quickly that he can't. He cannot escape him. Why? Because God is all-powerful. This is important. Listen up, everybody. God created absolutely everything. God creates from a cell in a womb a person, which is just an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing. From nothing, God creates everything. By His word He calls things into being. We're told in Scripture He calls the sun to rise. Tells it when to set. He puts the stars, each one in their place. He knows the hairs on your head. Why? Because He created you. He created you. So, information like this that God is so powerful that He has His hands in everything should do two things for us. Number one, they are a blessing. This information to us is a blessing. Knowing that you cannot get away from God because God is all-powerful, it is a blessing. Probably the greatest blessing you will experience this morning. Why? Because there is nothing that our God cannot do. Nothing. He has power to control even the weather. Does everyone see this? Jonah thinks he's going to get away and God brings a storm against him. He has power even over the weather. Then let me ask you this. What should you be praying to God that you don't? What prayers do you have that you do not ask God because you think either he can't do it or he won't do it? These big prayers that God has laid on your heart and he wants us to ask him for these things. Instead, we cower and we're like, no, I'm I'm not going to pray about that. He's not going to do that anyway. He can't do that anyway. Surely he can't change the heart of this person. Surely he won't change the heart of this person. Surely he won't change my situation here if I'm willing and obedient and submissive to his will. He can control everything. Everything is His. He is sovereign. Amen? Amen. What things do you wish were different, but you don't even ever ask because you think He can't or won't? He can. He can. So not only is this information a blessing, this information is also a warning. Because there's nothing in your life that's outside of His sphere of influence. Nothing. There's no place you can go. No part of your life that He cannot touch and is not intimately involved in. So just get this point back to everybody God is all powerful He's all powerful God cares deeply for the lost Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep Do you know that God cares deeply for the lost We need to not lose focus of what this story is about because in Sunday school, we developed this theology that this story is all about teaching Jonah a lesson and it's not. Jonah is not the chief character in this story. God's name is mentioned double what Jonah's is. Double. For every time we read Jonah's name, God's name is mentioned at least two times. God, the Lord, it's there. Don't believe me? then that should be your next assignment for this week as you're reading through the book of Jonah every day. Count how many times God's name is announced. So this story is not about Jonah's punishment for not obeying God. That is a small part of the story. The story is also not about Jonah's compassion If this story is about Jonah gaining compassion, it is the worst story about compassion that has ever been written. It's not about Jonah's compassion. In the end of the book, we don't see a better Jonah. There's nothing that indicates that Jonah is all of a sudden better because of the circumstances that he was under. As a matter of fact, he ends with being chastised by God for not caring enough. This story is not about Jonah's compassion. This story is about God's compassion. It's about God's compassion for what is his. So, why is it about God's compassion? Remember verse 1? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out it, a- because their evil has come up before me. God wants Jonah to be the messenger that will bring salvation to the Ninevites. And Jonah knows that from the get-go. We all read the verse together. We all read it. He knows who God is. He knows what God's capable. He knows what God can do. Yet he seems to forget when he boards the ship, doesn't he? Sometimes in your life and my life, the storms that we have are because of us. They're simply because of us. We're suffering from financial consequences because we were foolish. We're suffering from relational consequences because we were foolish. Sometimes the storms that God heaps in our lives are because of us, and we cannot blame those on anyone else. Why does He give them to us? Because we messed up and He's calling us back to Him. Sometimes the storms in your life, and this is true, and I will spend the next Nine weeks trying to show everyone this from Scripture. Sometimes the storms in your life are not for you at all. They're meant to drive you toward a greater purpose. Sometimes we get a bad prognosis. God wants us to do something different with it than slowly fading away. Sometimes we are on our way out and God wants us to draw others in. Sometimes we suffer so that God's glory can be seen through it. And it is only those who willingly submit to His will that get to experience this and take His gospel to people outside of that circumstance that would never understand it otherwise. He cares so deeply. So deeply. He will use you and your life and situations to lead others to Himself. Sometimes... That's a direct call to go to them with the truth. Sometimes God lays that on our hearts and we ignore it and we shouldn't. Sometimes we need to go out and speak the truth and just say this is what it is. Sometimes he calls us to live it. God cares so deeply for the lost. And listen up, we should know this, if nothing else from the story, there's nothing that he is unwilling to do to make sure that it gets there. I think Jonah spends all this time in the storm and all this time in the belly of the whale so that he'll be a better person. No, that's not what God's trying to do. God wants the Ninevites to hear this message and it is going to get there no matter what. Lastly, and most importantly out of this entire sermon, if we take nothing else away, it should be this. God takes sin seriously. Captain came and said in, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We toy with sin way too much. We think that we can do this and do that. And no one's paying attention. I can put on my good church clothes and skip out on this. We're wrong. This representation of sin is false. You know, the, rep- the first time that I ever heard what sin was, was from a well-meaning pastor. And he told me that sin is missing the mark on a target. And that is such a downplayed version of what sin truly is. What is sin? It is an offense against a holy God and nothing else. Missing the mark. That, that just, that's like, well, I tried this week, God. I'm sorry I failed you. That's, uh, you're not going to be able to stand there and say, well, God, I tried. But, Mom, she—you know, we're not going to be able to give him that answer in the end. It's not, it's not just missing the mark. We tend to lean toward this missing the mark. And, and it's just such a poor theology. It is an offense against a holy God and nothing else. Any other definition leaves us to our imaginations of how serious our sin truly is. If you believe that every time you sin it is a grievous offense against a holy God, you will live life much, much differently. Why? Because you're afraid of him? No, because you're afraid to hurt him. If I ask for a show of hands, no one in here is going to raise their hand and say, I want to break God's heart before I go home today. No one. Because he cares for you. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows where you are. So we've got to get this clear out in the open while we're here. God says that if you hate someone, it's the same as you murdering them. That's what he says. Hate is the same as murder. Wow. So let me put this into perspective for all of us. I'm bringing myself in here too. The athlete that you say you hate, if you truly hate him, you've murdered him in your heart. The politician, and this could get ugly, the politician that you absolutely and completely hate, if you truly hate that person, you have murdered them in your heart. He says, gossip is equal to stealing, quarreling is equal to contempt, contempt is equal to gossip and to stealing. Think about that for just a minute. A lustful eye is equal to, adul- to adultery. When you begin to view sin as God does, you cannot treat it as missing the mark. We cannot treat it as if we're defeated. That's another thing that we say all the time. Well, I was defeated this week. No, that's not good enough. Because we all made a choice there. We all made a choice of what to do. You made two choices. I made two choices. Sin of omission, sin of commission. We either chose to do what God told us not to do, or we didn't do what God told us to do. Jerry Bridges said this, and it's so vitally important, it's a paragraph, bear with me. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be good if we stop using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. When I say I am defeated by some sin, I'm slipping out from under my responsibility. I'm saying something outside of me has defeated me. But when I say that I am disobedient, that places the responsibility for my sin squarely on, say it, me. We may, in fact, be defeated, but the reason we are defeated is because we have chosen to disobey. We need to brace ourselves up and realize that we are responsible for thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We need to reckon on the fact that we died to sin's reign and that it no longer has any dominion over us, that God has united us with the risen Christ in all His power and has given us the Holy Spirit to work in us. Only as we accept our responsibility and appropriate God's provisions will we make any progress in our pursuit of holiness. Jonah sinned against God. God told him what to do. He chose to do something different. That is what the Bible calls sin. Sin. He did not do what he was told. It's a sin of commission. When you know what God wants you to do, but you do something else, you are sinning. That is a disregard for God's word and a disregard for God. And I want to point out, because some people think that God is overreacting with Jonah here, that uh, really he didn't deserve all this. Did it really have to come to this? Some people believe that this story is so far fetched it doesn't even exist. Jesus believed it exists. So here at Christian Life Church, we also believe that this story is 100% accurate. If Jesus believes it to be true, so do we. Scripture tells us what? This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is holy. He is holy. In him there is no darkness at all. When you understand this, uh, one one more. He says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God tells us that he is holy. God is holy and God is just. So he cannot turn his blind eye to sin. If he could turn his blind eye to sin, he would not be holy. If he turned his blind, blind eye to sin, he could not be just. So God does not do this. It would be against His character. He cannot go against His character. He cannot be involved in sin. We're told this in James. He tells us to be holy like He is holy. So is God overreacting? This is a question for everyone. Is God overreacting by sending a season of peril and discomfort upon us, the rebel? All God's people said, no, He's not overreacting. Not at all. God has not turned a blind eye to sin. He stared sin right in the face. And He sent His Son. His Son to live a life that's free of sin, even in the face of temptation. And there's not one person in here, myself included, that can make that claim. We cannot do it. Christ did. To live a rich life. Do you understand? He lived a rich life in the face of poverty. To face ridicule. And to be betrayed and beaten and tortured and hung on a cross. Why? Why would he do all of this? Not so he could turn a blind eye to sin but so he could stare sin dead in the face and say, it is finished. He bore sin on his shoulders. He took sin just as seriously as he always has and always will on that day. And in this morning, in this place, we all have to realize that if we're in the middle of a storm, God's taking things very seriously. Where do you think you're going to run? Where do I think I'm going to run? Where will we go? Once, Jesus' disciples were in a place where everyone was turning away. See, Jesus gave them some words that seemed difficult for them to to take in, to understand. So everyone says, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And they start leaving left and right. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, well, aren't you going to go away too? And if you're a rebel like me this morning, we need to listen to these words. Listen to them carefully. Absorb this and see with me if this is how you'll answer God's word next time it seems too hard for you. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed them and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. Christ washes our sins. He leads us in truth. And He who has brought us through His sacrifice into an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father wants us to experience life and experience it to its fullest. Would you just join me for a word of prayer and we're going to sing a song in closing. God, if there is any wicked way inside any one of us, reveal it. If there are things in Your Word we are running from, stop our running. Stop us dead in our tracks. If we would be your messengers to someone close, reveal it and give us strength to follow you. God, we thank you for your goodness and Christ's display of perfect obedience on the cross. And ask that you would use this to change us, that we might follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. All that's people said.